Hi. Hi. Good morning. This is Eli. Um, good to have you here. I am excited to talk to you today uh, about, finally, about class. Uh, now that we've sewn the book and figured out what wood is and prepped our metal to weld, and our front wheel of our bicycle is working well, uh, we can start thinking about class. Uh, I am recording this podcast in order to share things that I know about craft so that we all can discuss and think further on some of these subjects. Um, I love to think about things and discuss these things and learn and share these knowledges. Uh, I consider myself a steward of the craft. And it's something I've come into um, in, in a number of different ways over the years and found my place in carrying on the oral tradition of uh, objects and working with materials uh, as, a, as a human and um, finding traditions of different cultures of my own, people that I learn from, of uh, the many varying places in history where craft has been brought up and grown and, and kind of found centers. Uh, in the Northwest, uh, there was a huge growth in glass uh, craft in kind of starting in the 70s. And um, I was able to benefit from a lot of that in the 90s and 2000s, uh, where it was just everywhere around me. Uh, my parents were bookbinders, and I was able to learn that craft from them. And using that, I was able to study printmaking very thoroughly and quickly with different artists and finding all these little different pockets of knowledge. There's so many little craft schools and places that things grow up. And People that just make things and need to make a living off of making things and therefore share these things. And, you know, I think I thought that maybe when I was younger that I would be finding a place, an institution, a company that I would be affiliated with. Um, and then perhaps that maybe my own work would be able to, I would be able to create a company that had, that could have employees and we could all share this knowledge and maybe even it could be written down or recorded in a way that was cohesive and connected to the making of certain specific objects. Um, but what I think where I currently am is that my, my skill base is my career and is the the way that I'm able to move through space and find work in different shops you know really quickly in different towns and different cities um, because of uh, just because of that skill base and so it's a kind of it's a very at this moment um, a very solo act and it's not as much a a larger studio practice or a big body of work, but um, rather a carrying of this craft and tradition and then using it in a very utilitarian daily way to um, assist others in growing their ideas. Um, at times I've, I've employed people and I've loved finding people like me who have a lot of knowledge and I can have them approach uh, different objects and different processes in different ways and um, 
what I have now is the ability to now bring this knowledge to others. Um, and at the same time, also mentoring and becoming that the old timer to young people, um, the one that's going to give them a hint about an object or a process that will let them learn that process and uh, become knowledgeable about a, uh, a technique uh, to gather those knowledges. Um, and I think in that, you know, the sharing of the, the oral tradition of technique, I also really enjoy the sharing of the oral tradition of the, the stories and the way that these knowledges accumulate and, and find their way to each other, to us. Um, so, you know, the, the, it's not just the technique, but the people that I learned from and the ways that I learned and in some ways the quirkiness of that that I think is, is really fascinating for me. Uh, finding the stories of the, you know, it, it, connecting the old timer, connecting the artist, the craftsperson, um, and the moment in time that that technique was learned and the actual technique so that those can carry on in a way together. And I think I found that through glass originally because glass is so unique in its oral tradition is the is the main steward of that knowledge that in the shops is where um, those techniques are shared. It, it, it's less so recorded information in books or videos and more so that the knowledge is shared in shops. And especially in that, that period of the late 90s and early 2000s before there was really any videos or books um, that to learn those stories was to have to you know get the job in the shop and be present with those workers and to gather that information hear the story about the old Italians that came over the Czech and the Polish traditions and how they kind of landed in America and were mixed up in the Northwest, in Ohio and upstate New York and where these little pockets of artists, weirdos, hippies, you know, gathered these knowledges, tried crazy things and were successful or failures and what those techniques then carried on. Uh, certain tools, certain colors of glass, the ways that uh, those techniques and processes grew was unique, especially in America where it was less of a, uh, it was a quick growth and a more scrappy existence uh, than some of the thicker European traditions that it came from and the longer historical traditions from Mesopotamia, the Fertile Crescent, uh, the Iraq, Afghanistan area that were the original kind of places that um, glass had grown out of uh, ceramics and Tr being able to trace back one's own process and technique through those lineages and understand um, why we might be making the things we are in the way we are and how different and how similar it might be to 400, 500 years ago or 2,000, 5,000 years ago and where those kind of, you know, the building blocks of our knowledge come from. Um, 
and a lot of it is as oral tradition is it's uh you know it it may even be totally faulted it may be at some point somebody made something up and that those myths and those legends i think are uh some of my favorite stuff uh finding those places where you know fact and fiction kind of blend and become uh, become one in a shop where you're you know where you are making a real thing. Uh, so what I want to talk about today is uh, color techniques and color application techniques, specifically the overlay in glass blowing. Uh, in glass shops in America, generally most shops use just a clear glass base, a clear glass in a furnace. A furnace being a large hot machine, usually around 2,000 degrees. And this furnace has a basin inside of it called the crucible uh, that has molten glass in it. Uh, a lot of the um, the furnaces with the glass in them, we refer to them as a furnace. And then there are reheating chambers that are referred to as glory holes. And the, the term furnace is particular in glass blowing. Um, but that when used in a glass shop, it's very, it's pretty specific to that object, but it's, it's a term that is kind of will, will, will morph and change in different shops and different hot works. Um, you have kilns and ovens and furnaces and forges and glory holes and fire boxes and annealers. And all of these things are essentially either gas or electric heating chambers. And uh, they're usually somewhere in the 1,000 to 2,000 degrees Fahrenheit. And um, so a glass furnace with molten glass in it um, is a pretty common object in a normal, what's called a hot shop in America. And hot shops, uh, glass hot shops, uh, will usually have the basic equipment being a furnace, that you would have the molten glass in, a glory hole, a reheating chamber, a reheating furnace, a workbench, in often, most often, a sit-down workbench, a bench that you sit at and has rails that you roll the blowpipe on, and then a an annealer or an oven or a kiln that is kept around 1,000 degrees Fahrenheit. And that, the neither be the finished place, the place that you put the glass when it's done or that you might need to keep it on hold for an indeterminate amount of time. And the reheating chamber is where you're going to work. The bench is the workstation you're going to sit at and the furnace being the base glass and the furnace with the glass in it um that one has usually clear glass in it and this american style is to have a base of clear and then to apply the colors to the objects in uh, really often many different colors throughout the day. And another really common thing in America is a rental hot shop where the these hot shops exist as a business that you can then go and rent time. You can rent a workstation so you get a bench and a reheating chamber and access to a annealer, access to that furnace. 
and that, that there's usually a certain price associated with that that then you know somewhere in the 20 to 50 dollars an hour you can go in and for a four-hour session you can get those those equipments and then and that's really common and there's kind of a language around that and understanding the way it works and who does what in those situations and it's uh, a kind of uh, been pretty established through a lot of shops in Northwest, upstate New York, Ohio, California, all these places have been doing this for a little bit. And so that setup, because you have a lot of different people coming in to rent the studio space, that they all want to make their different objects with different color. And so what you want to provide to them as a business owner is just clear glass and the reheating chamber. And the clear glass can be colored in a number of different processes uh, to look as if it's really just one color or multiple colors and looks like it's not really clear glass. But in fact, it's red or blue, gold, brown, a mix of all of them. And so those that furnace will usually have somewhere in the neighborhood of 200 to 400 pounds of glass. You can have a little furnace, you can have little, you know, 20, 40, 80 pounds, you can have a thousand pound furnace. Usually things don't get much over a thousand in America, maybe a 2,000 pound if you're really, really serious about um, production. Uh, that's a lot of glass. Glass. The clear glass, um, when you hold glass at a hot temperature at around 2,000 degrees, so the furnace with the molten glasses in it is going to be sitting at 2,000 degrees all the time. It's enough thermal mass that you just need to keep it hot all the time. If you want to use it the next day, you need to keep it hot overnight. And glass, regular clear glass, um, when sitting at that temp, the, chemically, it's changing. Uh, there are fluxes that are burning off. It kind of looks the same and acts pretty similar all the time, but it's always kind of in uh, a state of change. Um, and so... Um, The clear glass that we use in these shops is often referred to as soda lime glass. It is um, a pure silica fluxed with soda ash and lime. Um, so the silica content somewhere in the 60 to 65 percent range, and then using these other chemical components um, to bring down the melting temperature and clarify the glass so it looks clear and it also has a very specific coefficient of expansion. And this coefficient of expansion is a, uh, in reference to the amount of movement, the microscopic shrinkage and growth of glass from zero to a thousand degrees and um, Fahrenheit and how it uh, the, that that microscopic movement is like in the glass generally in the hot shops in America is what's referred to as 96 it's actually 9.6 times 10 to the negative 13th it's a very fractional amount of um, movement in the glass and that tiny little movement has to be the same for clear glasses that are combining or um, if you're putting colors in it. If you want your colors to fit, they need to move the same amount in that room temperature to 1,000 degrees space because that's when glass is rigid in that place. And if things are going to move at a different place, then it will break. It's like if you have ice inside of a glass jar and the coefficient of expansion of ice, of water and ice is, you know, different than glass in that 
temperature range down in that freezing range. Glass doesn't really move down there, and ice expands, water expands as it freezes, and it changes the volume, and it becomes, and because it's rigid, it can break the glass. And so that same effect can happen if your colors don't fit or other things you put in the glass. Uh, copper, pure copper, actually fits inside of this 96 coefficient of dimension 96 glass that um, what's sometimes referred to as soft glass. There's another common glass um, is a borosilica glass, and that is pure silica fluxed with borax, and that lowers the coefficient expansion to around 33. And so that glass moves way less and why it's used commonly in like uh, kitchenware, a brand name is Pyrex. And that, that glass moves way less so you can use it for heating things. You can put it in the oven, you can smoke weed out of a pipe, and it won't break your pipe. You can even get pure quartz crystal, which is just pure silica, and it is a coefficient expansion of zero, and it just doesn't fucking move, so you can just take a torch right to it, you know, blast the shit out of it, and it doesn't crack it. Where Pyrex, you have, you can't, you can, you can break it if you take a torch right to it. Um, and this has become, it's, it, it's become really common in, you know, the Pyrex became common, the boro glass, borosilica, boro glass, became common use uh, with pipes, you know, kind of in the 90s, this growth of heady rigs. Well, really in the 90s, was growth of spoons, the little single pipes and Sherlock's and then then there started to be rigs people making kind of small bong apparatuses out of boro and then the next big growth was dab rigs where you take a an oil a cannabis oil um, and you kind of you were essentially freebasing a cannabis oil uh, and in order to make a, a glass object that you could take enough heat to really quickly to torch it and to be able to freebase this oil, to dab this oil, um, people started using quartz crystal because that little, the little pipe smoking part, um, if you want to get it hot quickly so that you can vaporize your weed oil and freebase it, um, then you want to have something that's not going to break. And Pyrex just couldn't handle that kind of uh, aggressive heating. So, um, hold on, I got you to look at my map. Oh, yeah, we're on track here. Um, so. Coefficient of expansion is an important thing to understand uh, just so that you know that you're in the right area. But fortunately, now there are lots of manufacturers that make color glass and clear glass, and they all generally fit together. They have the same coefficient of expansion. And everyone's using this 96 in the hot shops. Most hot shops have 96 glass. Most color manufacturers make 96 coefficient of expansion color. There are some companies that make sheet glass that is different coefficient of expansion. It's usually 90. Um, the traditional Italian style is usually 104 Moretti and the shops that they cook so that most traditional Italian colors aren't compatible with American style. Um, there's a number of reasons why we ended up at 96. Some of it has to do with the 
sheet glass and bottle glass is generally in that 96 range and that's what the hippies were using and that's what was available uh, that's what some of the marbles that people were using originally were actually made at because it's a great range for mold blowing it's kind of it gets a little it gets uh and the coefficient expansion doesn't is does not exactly correlate to its melting temperature and its workability, but it can often it, it can be related because of the um, just because of the chemical structure of the glass that it can be connected, uh, and so one hundred four is generally a bit softer and has more pliability workability and even the colors are a little more vibrant and amazing but um then it was so much clear glass in america was available at 96 that it just it was made it made sense for a while and then companies started doing that and then the color companies also uh started matching that coefficient of expansion um, the color companies are these large companies that make, they have their own furnaces where they cook the color using these, uh, chemical batch formulas to make the different colors of glass. And then they take that color glass out of their furnaces and turn it into bars of color long you know about an inch to an inch and a half in diameter rods that are anywhere in the neighborhood of a couple inches to a foot or two long uh, these long rods of color and then also into frit uh, little chunks of glass um, from kind of a fine powder up to you know a quarter inch or so size of little bits of glass and that is kind of based on some original ways that you might produce color in a shop to use oftentimes if you were going to if you're really manufacturing a large amount of glass in a more factory setting um, you would just melt the you would make a color batch formula in a furnace and um then you would gather that colored glass out of the furnace as you go and you're making your object. But that means all of your objects are going to be the same color. Maybe you would have a clear glass furnace and then a blue and then a red and a yellow and you're making, you know, blue base with a red stem and a little yellow leaf on it. And so all of those are going to come right out of the furnace. Um, and then maybe you would also make some frit yourself. You would water frit you would take the the hot glass out dump it into water and it would all crack up and then you would take that cracked glass and run it through a series of screens and you'd end up with different size frits and you could add those as speckles later um, and these processes then became ways for uh, the manufacturers to sell colored glass to artisans who wanted to um, make different colors if you with the frit size of anything over kind of a quarter inch even that's a little big but in that neighborhood of size anything bigger than that you need to get it hot first before you can stick it to the glass so if you have little like little chunks of powder in the sand size you can take your hot blob of clear glass on the end of a gathering iron you can just stick it right into that jar bowl of frit and you can roll it around and it'll stick to the outside um, if it's too big of a chunk it'll break it or it won't stick to it um, and then if you have a large bar form uh, you have to preheat that in an oven first to get that to um, so that it doesn't break uh, so when you take it out um, of the oven so it doesn't shock it. You don't thermally shock the glass. So 
those bar color that's a really, really common thing to use now, uh, and we often use them in an overlay technique. That's, this is where we're going with this. It takes a couple hours to get to it, though, sorry. Um, an overlay technique is where you take a solid blob of color and you drape that solid blob over a clear bubble and then you apply more clear glass to the outside of that bubble and blob combo and then you're able to blow into that bubble and create often a vessel and the vessel where you would start with a quite thick wall and a small chunk of glass but then you're blowing a bubble into it and expanding that evenly that you'll end up with a quarter inch or eighth inch wall thickness and when you look at that vessel from most sides and most angles it just looks like that one color of glass but in fact it's just a tiny little paper thin layer of color and then the rest of it is clear there's a little layer of clear on the inside and there's a little layer of clear on the outside and a tiny little layer of color inside but because of the way glass works and that's refraction when you're looking at it it looks like just that color it doesn't look like layered it looks like it's just yellow glass or just red or blue whatever color you want and so there was these manufacturers of color that had been making it a big manufacturer was Kugler in Germany and Kugler was actually making color for buttons button manufacturers where you would take a a rod of this color and you stick it inside of a furnace a reheating chamber of some kind and this is where that whether it's a furnace or a glory hole or an oven or a kiln or what is it it doesn't it's not that it's a reheating chamber it's what it does is i think what we want to think about and so this reheating chamber this furnace um that's just a hot a tube you could stick your rod into it and get it hot enough where you can pull it out and it's mushy and you stick it into a button stamp into a little press mold that would press you out a button and in that size of rod was just kind of perfect for making little glass buttons for your jacket um, or somebody else's jacket probably because um, you're a maker so making it for somebody else um, and those rods of color in that manufacturer process became a really useful uh, way to transport those colors and use those colors in a hot shot and so the Americans really uh, got into this idea of these color rods. Kugler was actually split into two companies. Kugler and Reichenbach were East German or West German affiliated companies but then when the wall was there it divided that company and so that they kind of started with similar formulas and numbers and manufacturing processes but then over the years became a little different but essentially make a similar object uh, another company called Gaffer uh, makes also color glass and they were based in Oh crap, is it New Zealand or Australia? Well, sure. How about Australia? And um, then they moved recently to the States, and there's been purchasing changes of hands. There's manufacturers, and there's people that sell the glass in Seattle, and they own parts of the company, and there's lots of switching of hands. It's a it's a business that just barely makes enough money so that everyone's always losing money and having to sell their business. Uh, people are always buying and thinking that they're going to make a lot of money because there's so much money in the business. But in fact, there's just a lot of money being spent, but not a lot being made because it's so expensive to manufacture this stuff. It's very much a labor of love often. Um, and so these color bars are what we're really commonly used to in America and where it used to be more that as a glass blower, a glass artist, one thing you would need to know was how to make these colors. 
that you would you would know the chemical formulas. You might have the 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 old timey notebook, and you would show up at a shop, and they would have a wall of chemicals, much like you have in a ceramic shop. If you've ever seen in a ceramic shop, they have a, a whole bank of glaze mix powders, and all of those powders then can get mixed to make a glaze mix uh, that makes all the different colors. Um, and that is something that used to be more common in glass shops, but then, you know, like in ceramic shops, you can buy the pre-mixed glaze, and then in, in glass shops, now you can buy all the colors pre-made, and the manufacturers became big enough that it really kind of pushed out that knowledge base, and most glass folks don't have that knowledge base and don't need that knowledge base of how to make a color a, that would fit your clear glass out of a chemical formula how to batch color um, is not something that we learn in shops. I've picked up a little bit of the information, but I've not been able to work in enough shops that just batch color uh, that I've become proficient in being able to, you know, grab some jars of chemicals, dump them in and make color. Um, and so... Just drink this coffee. I really need to do an episode about coffee and all the ways to make coffee. I'm pretty excited about that. But uh, for now, we're going to stick with glass. Right? We're not going to get too distracted here. We've been plenty distracted. But um, So now what you need to know as a glass blower as a worker in a glass shop is how to get that color bar draped over a clear bubble without getting any other bubbles or uh, weird stuff um, into the glass, get some more clear glass on it, and then get it ready to blow up for the lead glass artist, the gaffer, to blow up into a fancy vessel art form. Uh, a common position in a glass shop is a starter, somebody that starts the bubble. And that person would then need to know how to get that color bar heated up correctly and then applied correctly onto a bubble. And maybe there might even be multiple colors. Maybe they would be layered over the top of each other. Maybe they would be wrapped around each other. Maybe there would be a little wiggle, crazy wrap to it. Maybe it would be uh, stretched out even into canes and then rolled up into uh, a bubble. Uh, but we're going to just stick here with overlay. The overlay technique, the American overlay. Um, so first you're going to get this color in a bar form and it's concentrated color. So you only need a certain amount, but the different colors might need, you might need different amounts for the different, um, different colors, certain colors are going to be denser, certain formulas and those companies, those three main companies I mentioned sometimes the variation between the colors like the density of the colors will shift so knowing you know which reds are dense and which yellows will strike and which you know blues and purples all these things they all have kind of a different um, characteristics they also have different workability ranges generally when you're working with a color you're dealing with the melting temperature, the temperature that it kind of starts to go soft, you have a melting temp, and you also have a viscosity range. The amount of change in the temperature, as the temperature raises, how quickly the glass softens. Sometimes when they have a very short viscosity range, uh, they will go wet really quick. They'll go from quite stiff to very soft really quickly. There's like certain 
whites and reds that have a very high melting temp and a short viscosity range. So it's hard to get them hot enough. It takes a while for them to heat up. And then when they do, they just go blah, 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 blah. And it's really wobbly and, and difficult to work with. They really are sloppy. And so that's something that you're going to need to know is which ones do that and so that you can properly... Um, you can deal with that because you're not going to be able to fix that. You're not going to change that chemical formula of the glass. You just need to know that and, and work within that range and know that it's going to do that and know that um, you can't get it too hot because then it might not be able to control it or that you could only do it in a certain sequence because otherwise it doesn't, you can't get it hot enough. Um, so the first thing you want to do is you're going to have to heat that color up to around 1,000 degrees in one of your ovens. And usually you're going to put it into what's commonly referred to as a color box. For a long time we used to call them Kugler ovens or Kugler box because of Kugler being a main manufacturer of color. It became ubiquitous in shops to call it a Kugler box. Um, but now most shops call them color boxes or a pickup oven. And this might be an oven that or a kiln that has doors that open front load, open on the side. And that you can have trays of these color bars all laid out. Or it might be that you go vertical into that pickup oven. Um, you have a top load door that you pick it up and you stab it down from below. You, you stick your blowpipe, your punty rod into the oven and attach a little bit of clear glass onto that color. You also might pick it up out of a garage, and a garage is usually a gas-fired oven that will sit in the range of 1,000 degrees on one side and 1,400 degrees on the other side, and that you can move within those temperature ranges uh, to your glass up slowly and carefully like you could slide it in even in a, in a garage really you can kind of enter it'll have two doors on it one side is that 1900 to 1000 degrees and you might even start it at the door and kind of slowly creep a piece of color in so that you're not going to break it um, so you don't thermally shock it and you bring it into the garage and then you slowly slide that you know maybe it's on a tray or a little piece of kiln shelf and you slide it over to the hot side and then once you feel like it's warm enough to attach a hot piece of clear glass to, you gather clear glass on the end of a punty rod or a gathering iron or also just a long piece of metal. And you take that long piece of metal, usually a stainless steel, but a uh, high carbon tool steel tip on welded onto a mild steel uh, pipe also work. Um, I have heard that there was cast iron that was being used in the old-fashioned days, but I've, I'm not totally sure. Uh, I've never used cast iron, uh, gathered iron. But who the heck knows, man? You could do this stuff on a two-foot copper pipe. Um, and so you got you gather an iron, you gather up a bit of clear glass out of your clear furnace, um, and this is where having that furnace of glass is kind of part of the, the hot shop setup is you got one furnace that has the clear in it and you gather up a little clear on the end. You know, you stick your rod in, you turn it around, rotating it inside the clear glass and, and you stick it in about an inch to, a, to an inch and a half deep and wind up a little bit of glass on there. It's about the consistency of hunt when it's inside of that furnace, it's around 2,100 degrees. And then you've got that little bit of glass, and that is when it's in that. Then you take it out and roll the sides on a metal table on the marver, and then you have the end of it is a little gooey and sticky. Maybe it's in the somewhere in the 15 to 18, 13 to 1800 range. And when you go and stick that to your color bar, it's going to stick right on the end, and then you're going to have a color bar sticking off the end of your rod. And if 
you've got your clear set up right, it's going to stick there. And if your color bar is at the right temperature, it's not going to break. It's not going to thermally shock when you stick that clear to it. If you just stuck that clear hot glass to your color bar when it was when the color bar was room temperature, it would just break the color bar. That's all you do. Um, but if you have your color bar heat heated up to the correct temperature, it'll stick to it. If you get your color bar too hot before you stick to it, you're gonna pick up schmutz on the shelf, or you're gonna stick to the shelf, or the color bar will slump, or it'll attach to the tray. There's all sorts of kind of disastrous things that can happen. Um, and because you're using varying ovens, you've got a garage or pickup oven or some weird old-timey Kugler box, and it's got wires hanging out of it, and you're pretty sure it's this temperature, you're not totally sure. Um, all those things will create um, potential variations, and that's something that you're going to have to, as a as a worker in the glass shop, you're going to have to be aware of and be able to read temperatures in some ways just by looking at things, looking inside of a box and maybe even feeling it a little bit or just paying attention to different things. There's some ways that you can test these boxes using little slumping pieces of glass. But, you know, once you get used to it, you really can look inside something and see whether it's 900 or 1,000 or 1,100 degrees, you're, you know. Getting closer than that, being able to tell is not, it's, it's harder, but there's a lot of, um, you know, educated guesswork that's going to happen around there. And then you're also dealing with different colors where those whites that are a little stiffer and harder to use, those are going to need to be a little warmer, more apt to shock where a nice blue will be easier to pick up and has a little more, um, is you can pick it up with a little cooler, it's less apt to break, it's just an easier color to work with. And so those are things that um, that you learn just really by being in, around it and using them again and again and seeing them and then also being in shops with other people that know those things and can give you some information about which ones do what and which box, which part of the box and whether you want to heat the box up to bump the box up before you pick up out of it. Um, if you're going into one of those pickup ovens, you might have a little button you push or a series of buttons you push on a computer or a little cranky knob that would turn that box up and heat it up more so that you know, you're kind of holding the whole thing at 950 or 1000 degrees or 1015 and then right before, a couple minutes before you go to pick it up, you turn the whole thing up 50 degrees or something. So there's a little extra time. But it's like if you were to always hold it at 1050 or 1075, it would be too hot and the color would stick. And then it would, you'd, have to have, you'd have to clean it up and you'd get a lot of kiln chuff or stuff on there. And so you only heat it up right before you pick it up so it doesn't – so you give it a little extra warmth so it doesn't thermally shock it, which is another – reason why garages are nice because then you can pick it up off the inside the garage and then move it to the hot side while it's on the stick and then um, have less chance of thermally shocking it. But the garages are also tricky because they're, they're total guesswork in where you are in the garage and what is hot and not and those and they will vary sometimes throughout the day as it heats up and then different garages vary in temperature and they have doors on them and bricks that can kind of block off the heat, but then also contain the heat and change the temperature range and change the heat inside. Uh, and so those are also more finicky and almost more high tech tools where they take a, a, a more intricate knowledge of heat and of the tool to use. Um, so those are all wonderful things to study and spend years learning about proper garage pickup techniques. So you know what color you want. You've got a place that you can get it warm enough so that you can pick it up onto a stick. And you've got it at the right temp and you know that you can stick it up and get it into the glory hole, into your reheating chamber, into your furnace and heat it up, and then you can 
use that color, that blob, to then drape over the top of another clear bubble. So you will often be working with another with an assistant in this place where somebody else is going to be picking up the color and bringing you the color overlay because you've got the clear bubble and then somebody else is going to bring you the overlay so that you can overlay it on top of the bubble and drape it over. Sometimes you're going to do this yourself. Sometimes you're just going to work alone and do that. Um, but pretty regularly, pretty normal um, to have somebody bringing overlays. And that might be a job that you get as you start blowing glass is bringing overlays. It's just picking up color and bringing overlays to somebody else that's starting and that your job then is to kind of follow direction from this starter that's telling you, okay, this is the pickup oven, and this is the procedure that we pick it up. You bump it up at this point, you gather the glass, you stick it up from this tray, you move these trays in here. When this tray is empty, then you load up this tray with color, you put it in this way, at this temperature, and then you move it over to here. These colors go in this place, these colors go in that place. Do this, don't do that, don't touch that, watch out for this, do that. And then that's where as the color overlay person, you're going to be able to start picking up that information in the shop and start to become an, a steward of the oral tradition of that craft. Um, and I've spent years bringing overlays. I do love sticking up a big chunk of color and carefully heating it just perfectly and bringing it to somebody that's really good at doing overlays. It's really, it's a fun job. It's a fun job. Um, so now we know what color we got. We got somebody sticking it up. We're, we got them picking up. They just picked it up, and it's and they got, let's say they got, we're going to do a big overlay. So they got a six-inch chunk of color. It's not that big, but you could do, you know, you could do a really big overlay. You could pick up two bars of color at once, uh, you know, two 12-inch or 14-inch bars of color at once and heat them both up at one time and heat up, uh, you know, two pounds of color at once. Um, but that's really expensive. We don't want to do that because we want to mess it up. That's really hard to do too. There's a whole, there's techniques to that too that are a little more advanced. And I think just starting with a small but reasonable size amount of color, we're going to blow a big bubble. We're going to make a face that is 18 inches tall and 10 inches around. It's, it's nice and plump, big, kind of medium-sized, large vase. And um, we want this color to be a rich color in there, so we're going to pick up a 6-inch bar of color. Um, it's a nice yellow color. Transparent yellow that kind of uh, goes a, a little opaque in um, as you work it, so it kind of is almost like, almost like an opalescent color where it kind of strikes into a whitish, light, opaque yellow, and then has a lot of transparency and translucency, and then um, has a rich kind of uh, bright color to it. I love that yellow. It's so, bright. so that one's a little stiff, uh, and so we're gonna make sure the box is hot enough to pick it up. Um, let's bump it up to 1075 we'll pick it up um, and make sure to turn it down turn the box down when you're done picking the color up after you get it into the oven quickly you know open those doors pick up the color I'll get I'll close the doors for you you stick it into the glory hole and start heat it up and then we'll bump that box back down so we don't melt all the rest of the colors we'll bump it back down to 10 how about 1015 and now we're picking up that color. We've got it stuck up, and you're starting to heat it up. And so I'm going to take a blowpipe, and we'll use an inch and an eighth Spiral Arts workhorse blowpipe with black grip on it, a real standard, great, great pipe. Big, but not too big. We don't need to be crazy big here. We're just making a big vase. Um... And I'm going to gather a little bit of clear glass on the end of that pipe. And I'm going to stick my pipe in about two and a half or three inches in. I want a little bit of extra moil, not super deep. And I'm not going to gather too much glass on the moil. But if I have that kind of glass stuck back there, it'll give me a little bit of uh, 
extra heat retention in that uh, in the moil, the part of the glass that is on the blowpipe, uh, because steel is such a great conductor, it's going to conduct the heat right out of that glass. And if I let that glass get too cold, um, it will break, and I could crack the moil, crack the neckline, or crack the whole piece of glass. And so if I put a little bit of extra glass over that steel, then I am insulating that steel and creating a place where the heat's going to be able to hold back there because that steel is rapidly sucking the heat out of the center of my my glass as I'm gathering it. Um, so I'm going to gather that up, and I'm going to have about two and a half inches of glass on the pipe and then another inch and a half or two inches, a little blob off the end. Hell, maybe a little bigger than a golf ball, smaller than a baseball kind of size of glass off the end. Um, and we're going to kind of shape that like a, like a matchstick or like a Q-tip kind of shape. So a tapered round curve to it, a nice continuous curve over it. Um, I actually, before I, I gathered up the clear glass, I heated up that blowpipe so that it was a glowing kind of deep red or orange color. Uh, so it was ready to accept that clear glass. And the clear glass would stick to it. And I'd go in there and I'd stick the glass the rod inside the glass and I'd turn it around and I'd come out with a uh, bit of glass on there. And then so I've got that cool down and shaped a little bit, cool down to, let's say, 1,800 degrees, uh, maybe 16, right? And then I'm going to blow into the blowpipe. And it's starting out solid, but if I'm going to blow in there while it's turning, then I can create a bubble inside that glass. I can create pressure and push in there and create a small bubble of air inside of that blob of glass. There's a couple ways you can get that bubble. Why don't you just blow in there? You can also capture some air inside that blowpipe, a blow and cap technique where you would blow into the blowpipe and then cap it with your thumb and capture that air inside and that air is going to heat up and expand because of the nature of gas and expansion and heat and it's going to create more pressure the pressure is going to raise inside of that blowpipe because we're going to put in room temperature air out of my lungs and we're going to capture it in there and then that air is going to expand from the heat once it starts heating up inside the pipe and it's going to push into that glass and create that bubble right there. Because you only got about 14 PSI in your lungs. And so if you blow and cap, you can create a higher PSI and it's less work and a little easier in the pressure-wise, but it's harder in that it, that move of blowing and capping is tricky. And you have to keep the whole thing turning really evenly the whole time. But you really got to keep it turning evenly evenly anyways, whether you're blowing or blowing and capping or using an air compressor to push in there. No matter what you do, you have to be turning and it's going to be hard to do, I guarantee you. Um, so now we've blown in there. We have an even round bubble inside there. Now we're going to let that clear glass cool down to about... 1300 or so so that it's a nice cool core and now we're now the uh you are heating up that color and you're getting that color really hot and you're getting that somewhere in that 1800 range you know maybe a little warmer but it's a bigger chunk of color and you're you know you're still learning how to heat up color um and you're gonna get that shape that long rod and just by heating and turning you're gonna it's gonna turn into more of a kind of round baseball of hot gooey glass and this is kind of an amazing thing you'll see sometimes this yellow doesn't do this, but certain colors that you can actually see 
some of the um, flux is burning off. That you know, certain whites, and you'll see them kind of off-gassing. Uh, and some of this is going to be in the amount of heat that's in the glory hall. Some of it also has to do with the combustion atmosphere, uh, whether it's a reducing or an oxidizing environment, um, and how that glass behaves. Uh, and it's a small enough amount that it won't change the coefficient of expansion. But over time, if you were to keep that glass heated, you could actually change the COE of glass just by keeping it at working temp, which is another reason why making colors in a shop is really hard. Because if you're trying to make a color, you know, maybe one day it's going to be a certain color, next day it's going to change, and it's good. Coefficient of expansion will change over time so that eventually uh, you'll actually end up with a little bit of a a different glass um, and so getting that getting that blob of yellow nice and hot and then we're going to I'm gonna hold my blowpipe vertical so that my bubbles sticking up in the air I'm gonna put the blow end of my blowpipe on top of my shoe I know crazy right but it's just the way we're gonna do it uh, and then I'm going to hold that vertical with the bubble sticking up in the air. And you're going to bring that color over and you're going to hover that color above the bubble so that there's you're standing with your arms up like as if you were holding like a boom mic. And you're holding that blowpipe, that iron, horizontally with the color right above the clear bubble. And then I'm going to grab that pipe with a tool often using a what's called a diamond shears. They're shears that have that close into a diamond rather than straight blades. They have blades that are at a have a right angle on them. And when you close it, it closes to a tight little orifice, to a diamond shape that pinches down to a, a tiny diamond. And so, and also, uh, Italian style have also another little part at the end of it, a little pipe grabber. Uh, Czech style generally is just the diamond part. But um, pretty common in America is the pipe grabber style so we're gonna grab i'm gonna grab your blowpipe with right up next to that blob of color right behind it right behind your bow. i'm gonna grab that blowpipe and together we're gonna work together to make this happen but i'm gonna grab it and then i'm gonna drape the color over the top of the bubble so we've taken this little baseball of molten color glass and we're dropping it on top of the baseball of clear glass I have. And okay, here we are pulling up to the glass shot. Right here. It's happening. Um, so now we're going to drape that colored glass over the top of this clear bubble and so it's kind of this mushroom cap of sorts on top of this bubble and then now I'm going to take I'm going to let go of your pipe now we're both attached and our pipes are kind of at a right angle to each other and then I will use the diamond shears, that the diamond part, the cutting part of the shears, to cut your cut that colored glass right up by the clear where you attached it. I'm gonna cut that colored glass. I'm gonna cut through it. Schnup, 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 schnup. I'm gonna chomp through that colored glass, and yeah, and if it was hot enough, then it will that will be a fairly easy moment of getting through that. And if my shears are sharp enough, and we're all working together, and I'm not having a terrible day. Um, which I've never had. Um, just kidding. <laughs> um, then we cut that glass off and um, 
we've got the now I've got the the color glass stuck on top there, and it's kind of this mushroom cap on top of the bubble, and now my job is to carefully and evenly smooth that color over the bubble all the way down to the most of it drapes over the whole bubble so i'm going to use a series of tools well i might right then take my blow now that i've cut that off now i'm going to take my pipe and set it down horizontally on the rails and i'm going to use a flat metal tool sometimes the back of my jacks a jacks is a kind of big tweezer looking tool or there's a there's a flat knife, butcher knife looking uh, taglio or a tag tool that I might use that tag to push that color while I'm turning the blowpipe, kind of smooth that color over. And then I might go heat it up again and then go over to the Marver table. That's a big flat metal table. And I'm going to carefully roll and push that color over. And now I want to be careful to not push too hard and get it too hot and spin too fast because I could also push through that color. I could push the bubble right through that color. So I'd end up with more color in the wrong place and not enough color in the right place. In this situation, and generally when we're blowing a vessel, the bottom of the vessel is going to be the furthest away for, at the end of the blowpipe, and the neck of the vessel is going to be up at the top. So if I'm not careful and I push through the color, I'm going to end up with too much color up at the neck of my vessel, and it's going to be thinner at the bottom. But if I uh, don't get it over there far enough, I might end up with... Um, not enough color at the top or even a little clear spot up at the top you might need to pull that color up all the way you really got to pull your color socks all the way up and get it all the way over so that um you've got a good even application of color and that is one of the hardest parts of that technique is just getting that even application of color um, over draped over that clear bubble and evenly on there. Um, so that one, you're going to have to practice that one a couple times. Um, but I think you can get it. I believe in you. So that's the overlay technique. Uh, we could talk about frit application processes and cane and marini and color wraps also. But I think getting into the overlay is a good one because that brings in a lot of like different techniques and history and teamwork and communication and uh, different traditional techniques and tools and why the tools are the way they are and why they aren't where they aren't. And um, lots of thinking to do here. Lots of thinking to do. Whew, I'm glad we got through that one. Uh, I've been really nervous about, honestly, about color overlay and being able to describe it. So hopefully I did a good job. I'm trying to miss some parts. I'm trying to mess some things up. Um, if you're a glass artist, I'm sure that you thought that was hilarious. You can't believe I just did that. But I did it. And here we are together um, at the end of this podcast. Um, I'm going to get to work now. And um, hopefully you're having fun today. <clears throat> and if not, you know, um, go chuck some rocks at the water. Love you lots. Thanks for listening. Um, this is the end of message. Bye for now.